0: Welcome to Stand-Up Comedy Sex Ed. It's where you can get questions answered like...
1: How long does it take the average man to orgasm? And... How long does it take the average woman to orgasm? And also... Why is it so high in here?
0: Audiences agree it's brilliantly funny. Raylene makes sex ed fun. This show is entertaining, factual, and relatable. There's
1: nothing worse than being halfway done with sex and feeling your vagina shut down on you.
0: You've got to see Stand-Up Comedy Sex Ed...
1: I am ready to go do that comedy show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of the Stand Up Comedy Sex Ed Podcast, hosted by Raylene Taskowski and some other guests. And today we have a repeat guest, um, Lindsay Walden, our sex therapist. And I wanted to have her back because we ended our last show where I asked all the random questions. And I said, when did you lose your virginity? And Lindsay said what would you say?
0: <laughs> well, it's a little complicated. And first, let me just say thank you for having me back. I really love you to be on last time. And just, you know, sometimes you interact with people and you're on a wavelength and you're like, man, let's just do this again. So thank you. I really do appreciate it. And I, um, I also love that the number of people that, you know, I've been on their podcast or their shows now that refer to me as their sex therapist or our sex therapist. I kind of love that. Like maybe I should get business cards that say it, but I digress. So <laughs> that being said, um, yeah. So I I definitely do not shy away from talking about my story, but I also knew as you were asking the questions, I didn't want to be inauthentic and insincere because it's very easy to find this information as I've been so public about it. But I also was like, oh man, this, this might make for an awkward way to end this whole thing. Um, So I, I liked what you were saying before we got started that, you know, maybe thinking more of it through the terms of like a sexual debut versus losing your virginity because, you know, even in my career as a sex therapist, the number of people that I've worked with that don't really like their Loss of virginity story, you know, or that don't really feel like it was, you know, a great experience for them is actually pretty large. So I think there is something to be said for maybe looking at it more through, well, when did I choose to really join the sexual world in, you know, an authentic way? I I kind of like that reframing. Yeah. Um, but for anybody that didn't hear, part of what happened is that, so when I was um, 18, I had a, a abusive relationship that had been going on for a few years, and I had always been very... Um, clear that I was not interested in being you know sexual in that relationship it was not like it was a surprise or a secret it was definitely something I was vocal about and ultimately experienced a situation where you know I was I was sort of you know abused and assaulted against my will which I guess that would be the definition of assault and (laughs) so it was very difficult for me for a lot of years to really call what that was and to be really confused about well I don't want that to be how I like lost my virginity or how I like entered into the sexual world. And, you know, working with a lot of really skilled therapists over the years was able to really reframe that from less of feeling like a victim, more of feeling like a survivor, but also wanting to use my story to help other people, which is another reason I didn't shy away from answering the question. Although maybe it was a little awkward in the way that we did it, but you know, I kind of, I kind of go with it, right? It just, it, it's yeah. all really part of who I am. So That's maybe kind of the overview of that. And, you know, what I have discovered is that there are a lot of people that share a similar experience where maybe they weren't, you know, clear that, you know, because I didn't, you know, say, yes, absolutely, this is what I want, that that is not okay, you know, and that there is a certain amount of just consent matters and, you know, not going along with things. And that's part of why I love that you're doing this whole show because I think there needs to be more sex education. I think there needs to be more understanding. Cause I know even in my case, I I didn't know what to call what had happened. I didn't have the words to put around it. I knew it didn't feel right. I knew it was painful. I knew I was very, you know, um, just, looking back now was experiencing experiencing symptoms of depression and PTSD and all sorts of things that I had no concept of and I also didn't know how to get away from the abusive situation it took a good 6 months after that point for me to really you know kind of develop the courage and the ability to see it for what it was and to completely you know disengage from that situation and then you know spend a number of years and still sometimes get triggered you know as to what all of that happened and what it means and all of that. I was thinking this is a good time to bring up. I had
1: a, um, well, there's two things. If you've listened to my podcast before, you know that I had my first orgasm at the age of of four and I had many orgasms after that, but it was because I was being inappropriately rubbed upon by Mm -hmm. male relatives who Mm -hmm. I don't think were old enough to understand actual sex or actual penetration, which is why, Mm -hmm. the assault wasn't more, you know, Mm -hmm. I was never penetrated and because I was having orgasms, I have trouble Mm
0: -hmm.
1: saying that I was abused,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right. Or, or molested. Um, I also haven't gone through therapy for this. I never blamed them because in my mind, they were children. They were, they were not adults. They were children who were exploring and, Mm -hmm. you know, so when, and then when similar When I had to go through therapy for similar issues, and and the doctor said to me, you know, how come you can forgive what happened to you, but you can't forgive yourself for the things that you did? And and I was stuck in the hole because I knew better, because I knew better, because I knew better. And he's like, they knew better, they knew better, they knew better. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know a lot of people, uh, especially young men who are assaulted, if they have an orgasm, they have trouble. Trump saying it must be my fault I should not have enjoyed it there's something wrong with me because I enjoyed it right and because you're a sex therapist I can bring that up with you or I wouldn't bring that up with just like a regular person that's
0: fairly common Oh, it is. It's it's almost like they, you know, and it's not just true of men, you know, I mean, yes, I hear it maybe more from men in some regards, because I think there's a lot more stigmatized, you know, views of like male abuse, which is unfortunate, because it's just as valid and just as damaging and all of the things, you know, but yeah, it's almost like the way I explain it from like a biologic sort of perspective is that, you know, the the genitals will respond if they are touched. And even if they are, you know, touched in a way that is inappropriate or, you know, maybe doesn't feel congruent to what someone is wanting, that doesn't always mean that the biology of it isn't at play. And it's not to say that every person that's experienced, you know, some form of abuse or assault has pleasure of any sort from it, but it can feel very betraying when that happens. It's almost like I've had people tell me my body betrayed me. Like, why would I have an orgasm in the middle of this horrible thing, you know? And it's very confusing because it's like, so how can these things be firing at the same time? You know, there are even some people that, you know, when they are in a heightened state of arousal, not necessarily sexual arousal, just, you know, arousal, like emotional arousal, be it fear or anger, or, you know, it's almost like a, like a coping mechanism of sorts where it's like the body goes into like, well, this is foreign and unusual, but I'm gonna go with what I know, or I'm gonna, you know, try to find a way to kind of, um, you know, bear it, so to speak. And again, it's like what might be some sort of a, you know, a one-dimensional coping structure of the brain really starts to feel betraying and complicated. And I think it is a lot of times one of the reasons that people don't disclose, you know, you'll have the first question people are asked is, you know, like, well, what were you wearing? What were you doing? You know, like in my case, I'll just use this as an example. The situation happened where I had my, like a, like a dorm type apartment at my college campus. And he lived in the same dorm, uh, complex that I did, or they're like dorm apartment complex, but it was a different apartment. I rarely had anybody stay at my place. It's just, I kind of like my space. I kind of like my own little, like I've got, you know, that's just me. And someone was staying at his. And so I was very intentional of, you know, putting like a barrier of pillows between us. Like I was very mindful of these things. And know when i woke up in the midst of what was going on was very confused and also because i was in a relationship with this person it was hard for me to conceptualize that someone you're in a relationship can all with can also be like your assaulter can be your you know your 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 rapist essentially and that was really hard for me to even put words around it took me quite a few years even in therapy to really conceptualize it because you know, I would go through this process of like, well, what if in my sleep, I, you know, I was receptive to whatever the advances were. And what if I said yes, and don't remember it? Or, you know, what if there was any part of me that acted like I enjoyed it, even though I don't remember it? What if that's the case? And that like, what if game will kind of drive you crazy. And you know, I think, you know, even after that, there was a part of me that because I was in this relationship, I remember having like a very vivid concept of going, well, that's not how I ever imagined I would lose my virginity. Maybe I can redo it. Maybe I can like, you know, get a do over. And, and I then orchestrated a, okay, well, that's not what I wanted, but maybe we can try this again. And I can, and I remember saying, and I can be awake this time. Like, these are things that you wouldn't say if it was consensual, right. but I know what I didn't know. And then the attempt to sort of redo things was a horrible experience. And I feel like probably re-traumatized me without me even realizing what was going on. It was incredibly painful. There was a lot of, you know, just, just what I look back on now and see as violent, you know, sort of approaches to things. And I think these are the reasons that when we think of like the way Hollywood or, you know, like TV shows make it look, it's like, oh, this like random attacker is the person that like jumps out of the bushes and gets you. And it's like, we know that's not the majority of the way that it shows up. It does happen sometimes that way, but more times than not. It's someone that someone knows or is a family member or a relative or, you know, a really close friend or, you know, maybe it is someone that you, you know, are in a relationship with and you you think should be a safe person and they end up not being, you know, right. I have a feeling that this is gonna be a really impactful episode for
1: a lot of people because I think the numbers of women who have been sexually assaulted are way higher than we would ever conceive of. And uh, little girls who were molested and little boys who were molested and how it affects you as you're growing up. Because I had a relative who was um, sexually assaulted by an older boy next door and the older boy gave him a blowjob. And I think he was eight or nine. And of course he had an orgasm because somebody's mouth was on his penis and it left him, you know, feeling odd and confused. And I don't know what happened there. And, you know, why did my body do that? And it's, God, it's really, keep your hands to yourself, people. Jesus.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's you know, it it shouldn't be that hard, you know? And I think that's part of what is so bizarre about it, you know, is that it is such a a prevalent thing. I mean, I know the statistical numbers would say that somewhere between three and four, or excuse me, one in every three or four women has experienced some, you know, some sexual violence or abuse. And, you know, I would say that, yeah, I think it's probably higher than that. And I also think that there's a lot of, you know, even kind of like the way I did at first, trying to excuse it or trying to, you know, not conceptualize it and it's not like i ever reported like mine wouldn't even fall in the statistic because i didn't report it to anyone you know it wasn't that i was out there seeking you know um you know like legal you know input it was really you know my disclosure came years and years and years later, you know, of in like a public way. And I do, I think there's definitely a, you know, a part of confusion, not only with the, why does my body respond with pleasurable, you know, sort of attributes to this whole thing. But I also think that there's a certain stigmatization of, well, so like if someone of the same sex, you know, is the, is the perpetrator that somehow, if your body responds to that, that has some indication of your own sexual orientation. And that, that's a whole layered thing also. And I, think some of that is very societally driven because our society does tend to be, you know, very quick to want to like judge acts as like, well, this is a label and this is what this means. And this is how this goes, you know, and it, it's a very, it's, it's like, it's a very complex topic. And I think sometimes it just gets very, you know, I don't know, kind of glossed over. And then I think there's also a lot of, you know, almost disbelief. It's like to believe that the, the numbers are actually as high as they are. Is, is hard to wrap your head around and i think there are there are people that struggle with that and almost you know well if it hasn't happened to them it's hard for them to conceptualize well what would that be like and so i think a lot of the education piece of it too is just trying to make it a safe environment for us to share information you know one of the things i try to tell people especially those that have had maybe experiences younger in childhood and they don't have a, a, like a full you know memory of everything or they maybe they just have like a like a body memory or they seem to have a reaction to certain things that you know we don't want to be over reactionary but we also want to make sure that we're honoring those things and so if someone says to me you know, I think something happened, but I can't remember, does that count? Then yeah, the word is absolutely it counts because if you have a feeling of something, we want to honor that feeling. If we dig into it and we're able to sort of get some answers as to what it was, okay, great. But we don't have to have that to heal. We don't have to have that to make progress. We don't have to have that to even validate that how you feel is off, you know, is, is okay. You know, it's okay to say this is what happened, you know? I was just thinking
1: because, you know, I am a comedian and I hardly take anything seriously. Uh (laughs) Like, um, you know, having if you have an orgasm and you're a guy and a guy gave you the orgasm, that doesn't make you gay. Right. Right. We all know that. But guys, for some reason, can't get their heads around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and then I was just thinking of like American pie. Like Mm -hmm. if you put your penis in a pie and had an orgasm, that doesn't mean you're a fruitarian.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, it's like these things are not necessarily analogous, you know, and you know, this is, this is sort of a whole other, maybe we have to have a part three at some point. Cause there are people that might even experiment with people of the same sex and not actually identify as gay. And what's interesting is that there's a lot more permissive giving of that for women than there is for men. It's like, if, if right. a woman says, Hey, I had an experience with another woman, We don't really go oh you must be gay and blah 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 and we don't put all these labels on her and in fact there's a lot of men even that go oh that's hot or oh you know i want to hear more about that or you know or even men that want a discount if the woman then says i think i am gay that goes oh no you're not you just haven't been with the right guy yet right so it's really interesting side of how it shows up for women and then by the same token if another if a man says Hey, you know, I experimented with another guy. Oh, you're gay. Okay, wait a minute. Like, it's right. not that simple, you know? And sexuality and the and the orientation of it and the fluidity of it, it's not as, you know, cut and dried as that where it's like just check this box and that's all there is to it. It's a lot more fluid and and open-ended in some regards. That doesn't mean that you can't be sure in your identity and who you are, but someone experimenting or having a question or being curious or having some, you know, like experience with another person doesn't have any implication on their identity unless they say it does, you know, right. and the same would be true about something that happened against your will. That is no bearing on your sexual identity or orientation or any of those things unless you say it does, right? Right.
1: Yeah. We, I had Joe court on last week and he has oh, a TikTok.
0: Yeah. No, he was, I was going to reference him. <laughs> yeah.
1: And he's got his video that says, you know, or his TikTok, tock mm-hmm. and uh, that he says, you know, if a guy has sex with another guy, that doesn't mean he's gay. Yep. And of course the, the, the internet world is taking it by storm and, yep. you know, the comments making, or, duetting or, him
0: and making all yeah. of these comments of how he's wrong and, you know, good for him for putting himself out there when, you know, that's hard to, it's hard to be on the front lines of that, but he's written so extensively on this topic and yep. you know, books and published and all sorts of things that it's like, you know, he really is an expert in, in that exact area. And I think sometimes when people get bristled by that, you know, they, they tend to, um, it's like they react to it, right? They yeah. they they get real, really reactionary, and you know. And I love the fact that he just he'll put it out there, and he gets a lot of you know heat for it, but that did not stop him. And I'm like, good for you, dude! Like that's awesome, you know. And yeah, mm-hmm. when Such people get awful.
1: super crazy like that, I say things like, "Me thinks thou dost protest too much."
0: Kinda, you know? yeah, <laughs> kinda. Or you know, it's just like, how does someone else's sexual identity affect you? You know, it's like, does
1: that make you horny, baby? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. It's like, if, if, if you decide you want to go have sex with six different people and that's your relationship structure, how does that affect anyone else, right? If right. the people that you're interacting with are good with it and you have, you know, confidence that this is what you want to do and you're not doing it under duress of any sort, then I don't see how that has any impact on someone else. You know, the same is true of people that do identify, you know, non-heteronormatively, right? Where it's like, how does you know someone else's gay marriage affect you or how does you know someone's sexual identity affect your life and if it if it really truly did then maybe i would entertain understanding it but it really doesn't you know it really doesn't and and that is Why that is what that, that
1: guys looking at me in the bath you know when at the at the gym
0: what if he is right so? but you know here's the here's the way i talk about that right because i've in various you know i i've you know, volunteered in different places and things like that. And, you know, sometimes have interacted with people that are uncomfortable with my own sexual identity. And, you know, I had somebody once go, well, I'm I'm okay that you're a lesbian, but, um, you know, I, I don't want you to like, I don't want you to look at me like that. And I'm like, yeah, no, no worries. Like we're good, you know? <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> right, it's just, it's interesting how there needs to be, like, I'm not, I'm not walking around, you know, no more than if, you know, you, you're a heterosexual person walking through the mall or somewhere, you don't just go up and randomly start groping people, you know, (laughs) and you're not, you're not indiscriminately attracted to anyone of the opposite sex. Right. And the same is true when you're, when you're interested in the same sex, you're not, you're not just indiscriminately attracted to everyone that fits that criteria. And, you know, and and so I think there's, there is just a lack of, you know, what I feel like is comprehensive sex education uh, around these topics, you know? I think it's adorable when lesbians flirt with me because I'm very <laughs>
1: clearly heterosexual, but and just like, oh, you think I'm cute? That's
0: adorable. I mean, think just you. be flattering. Yeah, yeah absolutely. it's really flattering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love my, uh, my ex-husband and I are, he's one of my best friends. We talk every day and, you know, we're very supportive of each other. And, you know, we've had a conversation, you know, he was like that when he was in uh, his graduate program in new Orleans, he, you know, I don't know if he went to a gay bar. I don't remember how about like what happened. It was like a group of people. They went out and he was like, and he got hit on and he was like, and I, for a second, I was kind of taken back. And then I'm like, you know what, that's kind of a compliment. Like yeah. Hey, there's this bar full of men that you could probably go home with, and you chose to ask if you could buy me a drink. And he's like, and I was really up front, was like, you can buy me a drink. That doesn't really mean anything, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, but it was, you know, I I appreciate that there are people that can be confident enough and comfortable enough in their sexuality to just simply, you know, put it out there, like, yeah, you know, like, thanks, I'm flattered, and not take it personally, you know. And and I think it it some of that is really a fear-based response. I feel like when, you know, we don't understand something as people, we tend to be very, you know, reactionary to it and usually from a fear-based point of view. And that doesn't always serve our greater good. And I feel like it does more to distance us from other people rather than trying to look at the things that do actually make us, you know, similar as human beings, you know, going through life, struggling through things, figuring things out, having good days, having bad days. Like, the things that make us similar as people far outweigh the things that make us different, but yet we tend to only focus on the differences. And I just feel like there's this imbalanced equation that we're trying to like reverse. I see
1: a lot of that in, in my other podcasts. We have, you know, occasional, it's it's me and three other guys who are very much not like me. They're almost all young enough to be my sons. <laughs> and they are all uh I mean, I mean, I don't want to be mean, but they're like far liberal left people. And okay. I am an oddly centrist, born again, Christian Republican. Right. Okay, there I'm, you go. Yeah, certainly far more centered than most people because of what I do and the amount of people that I hang out with, and the, yeah. you know, whatever. But sometimes we'll have these conversations and I'll just be like, let's talk about the stuff we agree
0: on now. Like, yeah. <laughs> Can we yeah, stop talking I, about politics? That would be great. <laughs> you know? I'll even say that all the time. Like, you know, my uh, my wife asked me, we, we, we go on walks as kind of our self-care and, you know, just looking at the, div- the divisiveness of everything and how divided everything seems. And, you know, and I told her, I was like, I really think empathy is the key. You know, being able to just see things from another por- person's point of view, that doesn't mean you have to agree with them. That doesn't mean that you have to go, yep, all of that I agree with. But it does mean that you can put yourself in their shoes and go, hmm, I wonder how they look at the world. I wonder the reasons that the things they believe line up with them. Cause I really don't believe that anybody wakes up intentionally trying to suck.
1: Like, I just don't believe that, you know, oh, no, I, that Westboro Baptist group, probably they wake up and they're like, I'm just going to suck all day.
0: <laughs> okay. You know, that's, that, that's an interesting conversation we could have. And I will say though, I do think that on some level, at least the people that, you know, follow it, I don't know about the leaders, but I will say the people that follow it It might be a fear based response, but I also think that on some level they do think that they're doing the right thing, whether I agree or not, and sometimes it's difficult to really like even put yourself in their shoes because it's hard for me to imagine you know ever being in that mindset. But my, my, my point of the whole thing is to say that, you know, they, they could use some development of empathy, you know, they use some understanding of where other people are coming from, because I think so much of what they do is fear-based, you know, and anytime we are operating from a fear-based point of view or a fear-based place, we're not at our best. We just aren't, you know, if your whole goal in life is to
1: avoid going to hell at all costs and your and and your goal is to bring as many people with you you're probably living from a fear-based perspective instead of saying what can i do to make the world a better place and please my lord i'm gonna run around and you know just spend my time fighting the things that might make him angry because that should make him happy and not looking that he's probably
0: up there going god stop it you're such a bunch of morons (laughs) You know, it is It is very interesting, this sort of idea of like judgment and where that comes from and that, you know, sometimes people that I think profess to be, you know, somehow preaching the truth of something tend to be some of the more judgmental approaches to it. And, you know, and and I feel like, you know, my, my practice over the years has really run the gamut because I, I do have a very kind of open-minded approach. I have had people that are completely opposite on a political spectrum than me. I've even had people walk in my office and say, I hate gay people. That doesn't mean I'm going to then disclose to them who I am as a person in my personal life, (laughs) but I also don't hate them for feeling that way. And I really want to get curious about what's the thing beneath the thing. Can we tap into that? Can we, you know, go to a Deeper level and, and really understand it. And, you know, I, I read a quote that said, Sometimes it sucks being a therapist because you understand everyone's reason for doing everything. And I really understand <laughs> that on some level because there is that part of me that's like, even if I want to be upset with people for things, it's not that I can't be, but I do find it to be a bit of a struggle sometimes because I do see at least where they're coming from. Even if I think they're very misguided and potentially missing the mark. It's like, oh, you're so close, but then you like diverged and went like this really weird path. So can we like come back to the, the road and kind of talk it over? You know, that's my whole thing. I wanna, I wanna help everyone. Was everybody. there a turtle in the road that you were trying to avoid and you just wound up over there? How did that happen? Yes, it's like it is. It's interesting. Sometimes I'll be having a conversation I'm like, wow, we were so close to that, like, level of breakthrough, and then we, like, turned somehow. Let's come back to the breakthrough point. We can do this. We got this, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a process sometimes.
1: Yeah, so I had a conversation with a woman not too long ago, and she said something that I had never heard before, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm guessing we kind of touched on it a little bit. She said, um, she and her ex, uh, she said when, when she and her ex broke up and they had a conversation and she goes, well, we didn't get along on a lot of things, but at least we had great sex together. Hmm. And then she went, I don't know if she went through therapy, if we read something on the internet and, and she said, and later on, I realized that we did not have a great light love sex life. He was always forcing orgasms on me. Hmm. And that felt like a strange statement. And I think I know where it comes from, but can you shed any light on that?
0: Man, I mean, yes, maybe, maybe not to this specific situation because I feel like there's some details I need. But I, I will say that I think sometimes if there is, you know, let's say like sexual skill or sexual chemistry of sorts, that it can be used as a weapon. It can be used as like a like a like a toxic bargaining chip almost, where it's like you know that idea of like, oh, we may fight hard, but then we make up hard kind of idea, or you know, I. I may be a horrible partner in all of these ways, but because I'm skilled in this one area, I can kind of confuse your brain with it. Like I'll, you know, I might suck all day long, but then, hey, you wanna go to bed together? I'll give you a great orgasm. And then, It confuses things a bit because it's like we've got one area that seems like it's functioning really well. Even before you said that piece of it, when you were like, yeah, they had a great sex life, but not a great relationship. My thought went, yeah, then their sex life is probably not as great as they might be thinking it is, because I think they're contingent on the other. You know, there can be people that just have almost like emotionless sexual interaction that's not about intimacy, So that is possible but usually in a in a long-term committed situation if the relationship is not strong and healthy the sexual element's not going to be either and so that's one of the things people say all the time like oh what do you do as a sex therapist and really for me it is trying to get people to talk about the sexual aspects of things that they like and don't like but in a bigger context of what works for the relationship so my, my shedding of light on that would be that that doesn't sound healthy you know and i don't know that it does or doesn't fall under the the heading of like abuse or assault because if there is consent for it then i think you know that's a little different but you know there can be coercion you know there can be sort of a you know a toxic element of you know using sex as a weapon in a coercive way to sort of you know oh, you didn't do the laundry, but you know, you gave me a good orgasm. So I mean, like, okay, how do I, you like, and then you bring it up and you're like, you didn't do the laundry. Yeah, but I, you know, we had great sex. Like it's, you know, it's maybe not quite that simple, but it can definitely start to be used as like a bargaining token of sorts. I am much better
1: at doing the laundry. Let me just tell you that.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is. It's like, you know, there's um, there's also, you know, so I've done some study actually under Joe Court. I've done some courses that he's like a long time ago in my training and, you know, learned a lot from him. There's another lady named uh, Tammy Nelson that she and Joe have teamed up on things in the past. I did some trainings under her and she's written a book. I believe it's called Getting the Sex You Want. It's sort of a play on the getting the love you want idea. And one of the things she talks about is, you know, if you if you want to have like a good sexual encounter and a long term relationship on a Saturday, maybe on Monday, you, you know, have a good conversation about your day and check in with how the week's going. Maybe on Tuesday, you do a chore for the other one and kind of, you know, Hey, can I, you know, make you dinner? Can I do the laundry today for you so you don't have to? You know, then on Wednesday, maybe you talk about possibly being together on Saturday. And then you know, she kind of goes through this whole thing where it's not about in long-term commitment, just, you know, okay, well, let's just go have sex. It's like there's more to it than that, especially mm-hmm. to keep that, you know, that that emotional connection alive and to not feel like it is just sort of like checking a box of like, okay, well, we did sex today and great. You know, it's like there there's more to it than that. <laughs> I remember um, reading an article or, or something a, a really long time ago,
1: and it said the amount of time between when you ask somebody to do something and when you do it tells them how much you love them. But it was something along the lines, and, and it wasn't like, can. I'm trying to remember exactly how it was, but I remember, so my, our youngest daughter, um. Her, she has four of the five love languages, 25% and 0% physical touch. Like,
0: oh, wow. she does okay. not like to
1: be touched or hugged. So of course I hug her and touch her all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, a good hug is 20 seconds. Suck it up, better copy. Right, know? right. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. But the, but the other ones, literally it's 25%. And I re- I don't remember, God, I wish I would think of these things ahead of time and research them. But it was along the lines, if we're sitting there watching TV, and if we're all sitting there watching TV, and any of us say, can you get me a glass of water, any of us will stand up and go get it. Oh, funny. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's just that mm-hmm. it's, it's not a thing. I remember one day I was sitting at my husband, we're watching TV. And I said, Hey, while you're up, could you fill up my water? And he looks at me and he goes, I'm not up. <laughs> And then he gets up and goes and gets me a glass of water.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. I, I think, you know, knowing the love languages is a piece of this whole thing. I, I do, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, I think it's, it's a huge piece of knowing like, how to best communicate, you know, your needs as well as how to show your love for others. And it is interesting too, that not everyone gives and receives in the same way. Right. Like I tend to be very much a gift giver, but when it comes to receiving gifts, I'm not always great with it. It's not that I don't like them. It's not that I don't appreciate them or the thought that goes into them, but I don't, I don't love surprises. I I struggle with, you know, my own kind of acronyms of things that I've been diagnosed as having and sometimes surprises and things that I'm not expecting almost don't land with me the way that you, you it might with other people, you know, but I love giving gifts. I love being thoughtful and being like, Oh, this reminds me of this person. Let me get this for them. You know, that kind of thing. I'll send you um, my address. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> do yeah um, You know, and, and it is, it's one of those things of just kind of being like, you know, having fun with it and, you know, giving, but then for me, from a, from a, from a receiving perspective, physical touch, words of affirmation and acts of service are, are kind of equal. You know, it's like, I have those three that really, if you've got those three happening, I'm usually pretty good. And, you know, depending on how I'm feeling that day or whatever it may be. And so I do ask people when we're, when we're going through the, you know, whether it be, you know, intensive therapy or more of like an online coaching situation, the love languages come into play, because I think it's a really helpful just, you know, snapshot of one way to assess how you give and receive love. Did you also know that there are anger languages and apology languages? Yes, we talked about that on on our last podcast. We had done that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's helpful to know those too. So I would say if you've never done the assessments, go do them. See see what you show up as, because it is very helpful. I
1: remember um, before we took, or when we finally took the love languages uh, test, mm-hmm. I, um, I remember like kind of understanding what my husband's was ahead of time. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's for sure. So one day um, I had got a cleaning lady to come in on. And so he, my husband left for work at like eight 30, the cleaning lady came at nine. Now my husband knows, That every morning at nine o'clock, this is back then, uh, I would take my daughter to the library and we did library hour for two hours. And then we came home at 11 and he would come home for lunch at like 1130. So Mm -hmm. he knows I'm not home. He leaves and he comes home later and the house is spotless because I paid somebody. And he comes home and he goes, wow, the sink is really clean. (laughs) Right. The whole house is clean. But what does he notice? The sink right yeah and and this is sidebar of that conversation but I had that housekeeper come every two weeks for like six months and he never knew we had a housekeeper until one day he was sitting in front of my computer and he saw a post that I had done on like live journal that was like yeah we've had a housekeeper for six months and my husband has no idea
0: <laughs> that is so funny. It is. It's like, you know, um, there was a TikTok actually, you know, it, it, the TikTok community is kind of fun to talk about mental health things. And then also to just kind of watch, you know, people watch, so to speak. And there was a funny one that went viral of a lady that was basically going through like what it was like to be in quarantine with her husband. And the funny one that she talked about was that she was cleaning the microwave and she had some kind of like a concoction of like, you know, essential oils and like a, in like a, a bowl that she would warm up and it would kind of like get Get all the grud, you know, like kind of okay, and then she'd clean it off, and she said that like you know he was like, why are you doing that? We have a food cover. She's like, I know, and the food cover is great, but I do this weekly. He's like. No, you don't have to do that. Like it stays clean. She's like, it stays clean because I clean it. And he's like, no, we have a food cover. And she's like, okay, I I, I don't want to strangle you. But at the moment, you don't know what you're talking about. I literally do this every week. You're just not here. And now all of a sudden you're here for it. And you're like, Well, I didn't know you did that so you shouldn't do it and she's like it's just it's interesting how you know these things that we don't always recognize and realize and that actually. Is one of the reasons that I say like assumptions are sometimes dangerous, you know, like assuming you know what your partner's thinking or what they're doing or like what they're needing is not always healthy, because if you're not actually having a conversation about it. You might be missing some things, you know, you might be missing some pieces of the whole puzzle. And so because of that, I think it it becomes important to figure out like how to have those courageous conversations, you know? Yeah, it would be, it would be like me
1: assuming that my tires just never got rotated. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I've never had to rotate my tires before. And my husband's like, yeah, because I do it. Right. Like, exactly. Oh, I didn't
0: know that. Yep. Exactly. Like one of the things that was very healing in, in me me and my ex-husband splitting was that there were a lot of things that I did and I, I felt taken for granted sometimes. And I have, you know, we've since talked this through and, you know, one of the more healing things was after we were no longer together, he reached out one day and he was like, I don't think I ever really gave you credit for all of the things that you did because, like I I, I made phone calls, I took care of insurance payments. I, you know, I did all of that, like, you know, bookkeeping stuff. And he never had to really worry about it. And it's not that I wouldn't try to show him. I'd be like, oh, hey, you want to see this spreadsheet or this thing I made or whatever? And he's like, no, that's fine. You got it. But I think ultimately that kind of led to me feeling a bit taken for granted of like, you know, if I'm not doing it, you're going to have to. And in some of our healing conversations, that was something we talked about. He's like, I really should have given you more credit for those things. He's like, and, you know, to be fair, I never really asked to see it, but I didn't really know all that went into it. And, you know, having to do it for myself, it definitely showed me what I didn't know. Oh yeah. Thousand percent. I couldn't, do, I tell
1: my husband this all the time. I could not do this without you. I couldn't.
0: How mm-hmm.
1: so much mm-hmm. that he does that I either, it's not that he don't know how to do it. I just don't want to. Right. I don't, I don't want to deal with the pool. I don't want to deal with the two acres of lawn. I don't want to deal with the lawn tractor. I don't want to deal with the generator. I don't, I want, to, I don't want to do, I don't want to take the trash out. I mm-hmm. don't want to, Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do. And it's like um, trash is always due on Mondays. And I honestly don't do that much. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like that we have the, um, uh, the app where we can see where each other is because I'll be like, how close to home is he? Okay, now it's time for me to get off the couch from watching six hours of TV, race through the house, <laughs> fold the laundry, put it away, wipe the counters down, you know, fluff everything, make it look like I've been working all day long. And it's really 15 minutes of racing around the house. Um,
0: that is, that is and, really,
1: the you know, and then he's like, so what do you do today? And I'm like, well, I did the laundry and I wiped down the microwave and you know
0: <laughs> that's so funny. And and, and I think very relatable, you know. I think there there are these elements of, you know, wanting to, you know feel like we have a, an equal, healthy partnership. And then sometimes, you know, just reminding ourselves of like, you know, okay, we, we get, we're we on the same team. You know, yeah. what does that mean? What does that look like? And I spend a lot of time getting people to really look at what does it mean to have a same team mentality in your relationship? And it's different for every person, you know, almost like a, like a same team manifesto. Like, what are the things that make us combine together into this partnership that works, you know? I
1: like, um, now see, I have problems because I think my husband could have done better. Like he just, he Mm -hmm. could have gotten a a classier, nicer Mm -hmm. woman who was willing to hold down a job. Like he could have done so much better. But my friends say, you don't see the way he looks at you.
0: Yep. I was going to say, so this sounds like some part of your own mindset. I'm not trying to therapy you, but you know, that is maybe not seeing your worth through his eyes. You're seeing them through yours. And that's, that's sometimes tough, you know? And even my daughter's friends. So I had done a a podcast
1: with my daughter's friends one day about sex and college boys. And, and I had said, you need somebody like your Your dad, somebody who's going to take care of you, and her friends are like, "Oh, you should see Sarah's dad. He totally simps for Sarah's mom. Like, Ah! he loves her. He does." And and I'm just like, "Stop!" (laughs) But I love that other people see it because I mean, and I see it. I see that he loves me because he's acts of service. So now Mm -hmm. that I know that it's his love language, you know, I see it everywhere. But Mm I, I just sometimes like, "Yeah, man, Mm -hmm. should have." But what I do know from Acts of Service is, and you know, back up to that story with the clean sink, when you know your partner's love language, you also know, I guess there's an apology language too. But for me, I already knew it, you know, if if I if if we have gotten into some sort of fight and we are not speaking to each other, Mm -hmm. the thing that I can do to say I love you when I don't want to, because I'm still pissed,
0: Mm -hmm. is clean sink.
1: Yep. And 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 make sure it's shiny. Clean underwear uh, and a clean sink. That's all that man needs in his life.
0: Okay, so I'm trying to remember now because I don't have my little cheat sheet in front of me, but like in the apology languages, actually, what's interesting is that unlike the love languages which sometimes have like a real predominant like this is how it shows up the anger and the apology languages can all sort of show up at various times in a relationship but the the idea of you know anchoring the the the, the wrongdoing so to speak with a love language action is part of the, the apology languages it's like okay how do i now give to my partner in a way that helps them sort of re are like kind of like reestablish that yes i do love them i know what their love language languages and here's what I'm going to do to sort of make them feel that. Right. So mm-hmm. it's usually when I'm mad at him. Well, usually,
1: we're, usually mm-hmm. we're mad at each other at the same time. There's not a lot of times that, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, it's funny because it's um, literally towels, underwear, and a clean sink is all that man needs to be happy. And mm-hmm. one day we were, have you guys, have you ever seen uh, Big Hero 6? No. Oh it's like one of the best Disney movies ever okay, Pixar, I Disney movies. okay I have Disney plus now so I'm gonna have to watch it uh, watch it I've I watched it literally four times in one weekend because I saw oh it by myself and I was like oh my god this is so good and I said to my husband you have to watch this movie with me and so then we watched it together and then one of our kids came home and I'm like you have to watch this movie <laughs> that's awesome okay okay awesome awesome one spot and it's uh Tj TJ miller do you know who that is the comedian?
0: Yeah, I think, I, I think he's also I did. the
1: guy. He's also the voice of the mucus in the mucus commercial. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's in this character. There's one spot and he talks about his underwear and, and he, you know, he only washes them every four days. He goes, I wear them uh, front side, then backside, then inside, then outside, you know, it was like, oh or, my God. or then I flip them around, whatever. So I was going down to visit my daughter after my first grandson was born. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd gotten everything ready for me and I, you know, got in the car and I'm driving and I'm like two hours away. And he's, my husband texts me and he says, there's no clean towels. And of course I overreacted that in a major way. I'm like, what the fuck? You're a grown man. I had all this shit to do yeah. Like I literally just blew up at him. It was completely inappropriate. Right. And then, you know, we, he calls me 72 times during the, call it during the drive because that's what he does what are you doing how are you don't get in an accident I love you like <laughs> and then I get to where I'm going and I realize that I had blown up and I was an asshole and mm-hmm. I wrote to him and I said I am sorry about the towels
0: mm-hmm. I
1: just didn't think about it I was busy packing and I am really sorry that I left without towels and he said that's nah, no big deal I'll just do front side inside back side <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it I love it yeah it's like you know that that whole thing of I think sometimes we hold ourselves to this like standard of perfection that we're. You know, not going to miss something and then, when we do there is sometimes an overreaction to that you know and. Well, my
1: overreaction was like I barely do anything and I couldn't remember to do the towels right
0: and it's like but you know does you not doing the towels make you a horrible evil person absolutely not, you know, and I think sometimes we have to sort of like yeah I mean it sounds like you went through all of the processes of like allowing yourself to emote it you didn't run from the emotion, but then you also kind of pulled it back from the ledge and went okay. Let me reset here. Let me, you know, let me reach out and just kind of be like, hey, I'm sorry about that. Let me just own it. And then instead of him using it as a way to, you know, beat you up and make you feel like crap because you already felt bad about it, he sort of anchored it with something that the two of you connected on. So I feel like that is a really great example of what it means to be on the same team. We're going to have moments where things don't line up. We're going to have moments where things don't feel ideal, but it's really how we, how we manage it, how we handle it that really matters, you know?
1: Yeah, I guess he's stuck with me. There you and go. he seems to be okay that.
0: with it. <laughs> right. I tell my wife that all the time, I'm like, you're stuck with me now. We like hit our 90 day, you know, um, we've been together or we've been married that long. And I'm like, yeah, that 90 day return policy, I think it's up. So you're sort of stuck right. with me now. Mm-hmm. That was one of my
1: favorite things about the beginning of 2020. Everybody was like, can I turn back the seven, been a seven day
0: trial. I don't right. like this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's just, yeah, it's been really, really interesting last couple of years. And I'll, you know, I think we're going to continue seeing things transition and, you know, we're, we're figuring out what this growth looks like on lots of levels, you know? So I think the whole concept of relationships and the dynamics that, that exist around them and and how that shows up is, is a big part of it. I am so
1: grateful that you came back on my show. I'm grateful that we had that first conversation because it gave me a way to reword things to be less awkward. (laughs) There you go.
0: I like it. I like it. But I also appreciate, you know, like the authenticity that you brought to it of just like, hey, I'm going to, you know, let's revamp it a bit. And I think that's great. That's really the sort of the way we grow, you know? Yeah,
1: I needed it to not be, you know, awkward. But I have added one more question since then. Okay. I really want my Q&A to start being part, you know, like, Cause that's when people really like, um, loosen up, but we already did your, your sexual debut. Mm Um, how did we, did I ask you how old you were when you
0: had your first orgasm? Oh, I don't think you did. Um, You know, it's interesting because I think the first one I had, I didn't really think that's what it was. Again, not having sexual sexual education, I was kind of confused by that. I think I was 16, but the one that was really when I would say happened that I was a part of and really conceptually knew what was going on, I was 19. All right. Mm -hmm. I actually remember
1: having sex lots and lots and lots and never having an orgasm and not realizing that the thing that I was doing
0: by myself was the orgasm. Yep, yep. (laughs) I will also say that I think I, I had had at some point in my life like sexual dreams that probably had some sort of orgasm associated with it but also not recognizing what it was. I don't really have a gauge of like when I had one of those dreams. So I would say from like the actual, like I knew what was happening in right. 19. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that was the one I added. Oh, okay, I was, was always curious, curious about, about that, that like, one. Oh, now
0: I'm curious what else she's going to ask. Yeah, no, I, I like your q and I do. And I, um, I think it's helpful sometimes to have just these like questions put out there because no matter what someone's level of expertise is and working with other people, we're all human, you know, and we all have a story and we all have, you know, those elements that make us relatable, you know? And I think sometimes being able to put them in those terms of just like comparatively and say like, we all have a story, you know, I, I like that. Right. Hey, you know what? You're a sex therapist. Do you have any
1: good questions I should add to this list? Man, you know, I so think what to I'm recap, gonna... recap, yeah. it's how yeah. old were you when you had your first sexual debut? When did you have your first orgasm? Funny sex story. Favorite time of day to have sex. Favorite position, favorite toy.
0: Hmm, that's a pretty comprehensive list. I, cause I feel like what my question would be is what is your sexual template? But I feel like you've asked the individual questions that make up the sexual template. So well, I don't know if that's really where I would go with it. It feels like that's what you've created there. I'll have to ponder that. I don't know. Let me, let me think about it. if there's any other questions I would add to it. Cause yeah, I you can always message you, me. <laughs> yeah, it feels like you have, you have really covered your basis though. I like it. And you know, I I'm, I'm grateful for all of these opportunities to talk with you. I'm always available to answer questions and, you know, I'm really easy to find online. So if people have questions and they're like, Hey, what, you know, what is this? You talked about that. I don't understand this. You know, go to my website. You can find all of my info there. That's probably the easiest way. It's just lindsaywalden.com. All right. Well, that was going to be the next question. How could people find you? But Lindsay Walden, Lindsay with an A. (laughs) Lindsay with an A, yes, and you can also find me all over social media. So my biggest following is really on TikTok. I've got, um, you know, little bits of information I do over there. It's at this is Lindsay Walden. I'm also on Instagram with the same name at this is Lindsay Walden. On Pinterest, you can search Lindsay Walden or Therapy Thoughts, that will show up there. Facebook is Lindsey Walden Consulting. And then I think that's all of the places. Did I leave one out? Maybe could have been, I don't know. Search for me, I'm out there, I'm easy to find.
1: You're out there. I'm out there
0: too. You can find me on Instagram
1: at standupcomedysexed, standupcomedysexed.com and my speaker website, which is Taskowski.com. And I've set up a Facebook group just for this podcast. So you can participate in polls, ask questions, politely share an alternate point of view, and generally let us know what you think of the episode. So you can search for standup comedy sex ed podcast on Facebook. Please subscribe to the podcast, share it with all of your friends. Let everybody know that we're talking about sex over here. And as a little added bonus, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Raylene. And I would like to thank the very first person who sent me coffee, Abby from Missouri sent me two cups of coffee and I appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Lindsay. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And if I have any uh, really good subjects that I want to talk to you about, I will hit you up and see if you want to come back
0: on. Anytime you want me, I will be here. Excellent. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.